Good morning, church. I'm glad you're either here in person with us or tuning in online. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being here. And I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and then we're going to get right into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. I'm thankful for each person that's here and each person that's tuning in. I just pray now, Lord, as we spend time uh, being encouraged by your word, Lord, more specifically by the Psalms, I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to help us as we uh, go through this new year to, to have encouraged hearts when there's so many things around us that can be discouraging. I'm just thankful again for uh, the freedom that we have to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing our series, Psalms of Encouragement, studying through eight psalms that will encourage your heart for this new year. Now, today's psalm of encouragement is Psalm 23. This, hands down, is the most popular psalm in the Bible. If you've ever been to a funeral, you've probably heard this psalm. Culturally speaking, this psalm has been quoted in a laundry list of songs such as Jesus Walk by Kanye West, Gangster's Paradise by Coolio, You're Nobody Till Somebody Kills You by Puff Daddy and the Notorious B.I.G., uh, Sick Man by Allison Chains, Love Rescue Me by U2, Sheep by Pink Floyd, Ripple by Grateful Dead, and Shadow of Death by Megadeth. So I'm sure that many of you spend much of your time either bumping or rocking out to some of those songs over the years. But we have to ask this question, why is this psalm so popular? So let's find out. Well, first of all, this psalm is a psalm of David. It was most likely written during the account of 1 Samuel chapter 18. Now, this passage actually comes on the heels of that very famous account when David went out and killed the giant Goliath. King Saul started to see that everybody loved David and the Spirit of the Lord was actually on David and no longer on King Saul. Now, Saul was jealous because when God's people came back from the battle with the Philistines, they made up this song. And in this song, it says in 1 Samuel 18, verse 17, the refrain of the song was, Saul has struck down thousands and David his ten thousands. So this made Saul very angry because he was insecure. He saw that the people loved David. So on top of that, Saul's son Jonathan actually became David's BFF. So basically you have this insecure King Saul who the Spirit of the Lord left and went to, to rest upon God's anointed David. And basically we have this, this whole thing going on here where Saul is going to start pursuing David. Now, one day Saul had an idea. He wanted to keep his enemy, David, close to him. So he wanted to do this by offering his eldest daughter, Merab, to marry him. So in return, David would have to be a valiant soldier in the Lord's army, fighting under King Saul against the Philistines. And Saul had this great idea. He figured if David is going out to battle constantly... He's eventually going to be killed. Nice dad, right? Here, honey, here's, here's, a, here, here's your husband. I'm going to send him out to battle every day, so eventually he gets killed. Well, 
David refused the offer because he didn't feel worthy to be the king's son-in-law. So after that, uh, Saul's other daughter, Michal, actually was really interested in David. Uh, the scriptures actually say this, she loved David. So Saul saw another opportunity. He said, great, I'm going to put David into battle again because if I give him my daughter and he agrees, he's going to have to be a, a soldier for me. So what Saul did this time is basically he knew that David believed that he was unworthy to be the king's son-in-law. So he said, hey, listen, Here's what I want you to do. I, I know you're a poor shepherd boy, and I know you don't feel worthy, but you can prove yourself, okay? And basically what you're going to do is you're going to go out to battle with the Philistines and strike down a hundred Philistines and bring back proof. Now, it's interesting what the proof was. You can go to 1 Samuel 18 and read that for yourself, and you'll probably be really surprised and a little confused. But basically what happened was David said, okay, and he went out and he actually struck down 200 Philistines and brought back proof. And he ended up marrying Saul's daughter, Michal. So at the end of chapter 18, we find that David continued to have great success, great success in all the battles against the Philistine. And Saul was so jealous and he was afraid. And for the next 13 chapters, Saul just tries to kill David, to get rid of David. Enter Psalm 23. So David starts this psalm with talking about his relationship with the Lord. His relationship with the Lord. He says this, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now in most of the psalms, the Lord is known as king. And here David chooses this word shepherd. Now, the first place in the Bible the Lord is actually referred to as a shepherd is by Jacob. After he is reunited with, reunited with his son Joseph in Egypt, when his people and his family are all saved from the famine in the land. Jacob, before he dies, blesses his sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, if you remember that, then he blesses Joseph and he says this. In Genesis 48, 15, it says, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. So basically, Jacob calling God his shepherd was a term of intimacy. Because here's what happens. A shepherd lives with his flock and is, is basically involved in everything with his flock. So Jacob said that of God because he was, God was intimately involved in every aspect of Jacob's life. So David also, I believe, chose this term for God because he realized what that intimacy was like. He chose this because he, in fact, was a shepherd, and he realized firsthand how shepherds care for their flock. They care for their sheep. And he believed that God cared deeply for him. So in the beginning of the psalm, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, this intimate relationship. So now let's fast forward to the New Testament. We see Jesus actually refers to himself as the good shepherd. Now in John 10, 11, it says this, I am the good shepherd. 
the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You know what? We enter into a relationship with the good shepherd, Jesus, because of what he did for us. The fact that he laid down his life for our sins. The scriptures tell us this. We are all sinners and we need a savior. His name is Jesus. He laid down his life. He paid the ultimate price. He sacrificed himself, his own life, in our place for our sins. The scriptures tell us this, that Jesus rose from the grave to prove that he is God. And the scriptures teach us this, that all who believe, all who believe in that good shepherd Jesus will have eternal life. So we can all call Jesus our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, there's actually going to be seven things in Psalm 23 that teach us what we can claim. Just as David claimed these things, we can also claim these things. So these things are designed to encourage us. Remember Psalms of encouragement. But these things are also things that make this psalm so popular and so well read by so many people. So the first claim is this, is his provision. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. Then it says, I shall not want. I shall not want. We all have wants, right? We all have wants. I want this car. I want this house. I want these clothes. I want more money. I want this possession. I want this vacation. But when David says, I shall not want, I believe David is saying his basic needs are met in the Lord. That means his physical needs, his emotional needs, his spiritual needs are all met in the Lord. The truth is, in life, we have to come to the conclusion that Jesus actually is enough and he will provide for us. That Jesus actually is enough and he will provide for us. You know, this becomes very real when you're going through something tough, doesn't it? King Saul was in pursuit of David. Without the Lord's provision, David was as good as dead because the king wanted him dead. And if the king wanted you dead, you were as good as dead. So when David says, I shall not want, it's a perspective changer, meaning that wanting after something other than the Lord actually is pointless because the Lord is the one that's going to provide. The Lord is the one that's going to provide. If the Lord wants to save him in the situation, he will. And if he doesn't, guess what? He won't. But David's not going to want after anything else because ultimately God will provide for his needs. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will provide for you no matter what you're going through? Now our next claim is this. His rest. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, David was dealing with going from the life of being a shepherd to eventually the life of being a soldier and then being pursued by the king. Needless to say, he had a lot going on, but he actually found rest in the Lord as the good shepherd brings his sheep out to the nice green pasture and next to these still waters because he knows that the sheep need to be rested. They need to be recharged with food and water. So David found rest actually in the Lord. Now I would say this, 
we all need rest. And many times it's not just about having a good night's sleep, is it? It's actually about having a break. You know what? In the media right now, they're calling what we're going through as a country and as the world is this pandemic fatigue. And some of you really, this really hits home with you. We're all tired of living like this, not being able to go and do certain things, just dealing with this. Every time we turn on the news media outlet, dealing with this. On top of that, now we're getting political fatigue. Right? We can't even turn on the TV or the radio or log on the internet without being bombarded with riots, impeachment, conservative, liberal, stimulus package, legal battles, etc., etc. We need rest. And many of us would say the answer to that is turn it all off. Just turn it all off. Don't pay attention to it. But let me just tell you this. Ignoring it doesn't make it go away and honestly doesn't give us rest. Because what we need is we actually, the way we need to rest is we need hope. In the midst of everything that's going on, we actually need hope. The only way that we'll find true rest is if we look to the hope that we have. Let me just tell you, you are not going to find any hope in the media. You won't find any hope in a political party. But I can tell you this, hope is found in the Lord. So we need him. Jesus actually says to us, he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. You know what? When you come to him, you need to listen. You need to obey. You need to submit to him. And if you don't, sometimes it's a forced rest. Let me just point this out to you. He says this, he makes me, he leads me. He makes me and he leads me. Now, sometimes in life, and maybe you've experienced this before, God actually benches us because we refuse to rest. We refuse to rest. And in that time, he's benching us and then he teaches us to actually go to him. It's a forced rest. It's kind of like, remember, like maybe, maybe you're a parent, and you remember your little kids, you'd be like, okay, it's nap time now. And you put that kid down and they're like, ah, and they don't want to go to sleep. They don't want to go to sleep, but you're forcing the nap because you know the nap is good for them. Well, sometimes the Lord benches us and he says, you know what, you need rest, my child. This is going to be the best thing for you. So when we learn that, and we're willing to submit and listen, obey, and take the rest, we can claim his guidance. The third thing. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, when we rest in him, our souls are restored back to the place they need to be or to the place where they need to be so that we can have the spiritual strength to, to take and act on his guidance in our life. Let me say that again. So we, we could have the spiritual strength to take and act on the guidance he has for our lives. See, so when we listen to the Lord's guidance, he leads us in paths of righteousness. I've said this probably thousands of times from this pulpit. We find guidance and direction in the word of God. We find guidance and direction in the word of God and we communicate him to him through prayer. 
I hope that you have some kind of plan to get yourself in the Word daily and to pray daily. I hope that you do. I mean, it's something that we've been talking about for years and years and years. You need to get into that because you're going to find guidance. Now, many of you will say, like, especially at the start of the year, we're only, you know, halfway through the first month. This year, I'm going to get into God's word. But you have no plan. You have no plan. Someone once said this, a goal without a plan is just a wish. A goal without a plan is just a wish. Do you know, want to know why? If you have no plan, it's not going to happen. If you have no plan, it's not going to happen. So if you're seeking guidance from God, you need to spend time in his word. Spend time talking to him. But did you catch what it says after he leads us in paths of righteousness? It says this, for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Do you know that when you are led by God and do the right thing, it is ultimately for his glory. When you're led by God and you do the right thing, it is ultimately for his glory. Now I'm going to say this, most of the time, maybe even 90% of the time, when you do the right thing, there's going to be benefits for you. Maybe 90% of the time, when you do the right thing, there's going to be benefits for you. But I will tell you this, there will be times when doing the right thing will actually not work out well for you. In fact, it may bring suffering, it may bring ridicule, or worse. But in those times, when you do the right thing, God will get the glory. We see that in the lives of all the disciples, right? They all died as martyrs. They were doing the right thing. And it didn't benefit them in this life. But guess who got the glory? God got the glory for his name's sake. Let's take David, for example. There were a few times, if you read in chapter 1 Samuel 18 to the end of 1 Samuel, you'll find there's a few times when Saul was pursuing David and David had opportunities to actually kill Saul. And he didn't because he knew that it was the wrong thing to do. And most of the people probably said, man, your life will be so much better if you didn't have to deal with that guy. He's pursuing you. He's trying to kill you. And I'm sure David was tempted. Well, we know David was tempted. But he knew that it wasn't the right thing to do. And he knew that God would take care of him in the situation. See, the truth is that Jesus wants to make you and I better Christians. Not necessarily to have a better life here on this earth, but so that the claim is true in our life. That we, he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Which brings us to the next claim, and that is his protection. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. This is the real famous funeral passage, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Well, we all know this to be true. Ten out of ten people die, and there's no stopping it. Obviously, the thought of death seems scary because at that time, we're going to be separated from everyone and everything that we know and love. But for the believer, we have no need to fear because we have eternal protection in the Lord. In fact, 
as this passage states, he's with us. Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. In fact, not even death can separate us from God. So David knew full well while he was being pursued by King Saul, any day could be his last day. So he said these words. But I'm sure you all realize this. And I know we don't live like this, but we know this is true. Today could be our last day. Today could be our last day. And guess what? Even if we don't live like that, it doesn't change the fact that today could be our last day. Well, some may say, well, that doesn't sound very comforting. And I will say this. We can claim comfort from the Lord in view of this. He says this, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, these, the rod and the staff, these are two tools or weapons that a shepherd would actually use when he was tending his flock. Now, the difference was a rod was like kind of like a small club used to beat away predators or maybe sometimes to nudge the sheep to go in the right direction. The, the staff was actually longer and it would nudge, you know, the sheep and also beat away predators at times. But it also had a hook and that hook was designed so it went around the sheep's neck if they were in trouble or needed to be pulled to direction because they weren't going the right way. They didn't listen to the prodding, so the shepherd actually had to just put that around their neck and just yank them by the neck to get them to go the right way because they would not listen. Now, why does David say these things are a comfort? Well, because when things are designed to protect us, they actually bring us comfort. When things are designed to protect us, they actually bring us comfort, even if at some point these things are used by force. Now think about this for a second. When you go to a military base or you see armed guards, it reminds you that there's danger out there, right? It reminds you, it's a constant reminder that there's danger out there. But it comforts you to know that there's someone there to protect you. It comforts you to know that someone is there to protect you. There is spiritual and physical danger, but the Lord is there to protect us, and that should comfort us. Which brings us to our next claim, and that is his deliverance. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, this is transitional. Because it's going from a sheep-shepherd relationship to kind of a friendship relationship, or some would say a covenant relationship. He says, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the Old Testament, eating and drinking at someone's table would signify a bond of mutual loyalty. And it could be the culmination of a covenant agreement. Like in Exodus 24, when the elders sat down after Moses confirmed the covenant, they sat down for a meal. And more for familiar that you and I celebrate each month, and that is when Christ ate with his disciples at the Last Supper. And he said, this is the cup of my blood, which is what? The new covenant. See, David was consistently being delivered from the hands of Saul, which was a reminder of the covenant that God made with Abraham. But not only that, the royal covenant that God made with him. His deliverance were, was a constant reminder of those covenants. 
Let me ask you a question. How has God delivered you in life? Maybe it was a situation at work or school. Maybe he delivered you when it came to a health issue. Maybe it was a sin issue that God gave you victory over. Certain things or people became enemies to try to keep you in that turmoil, to try to keep you in that path of sin, to try to keep you in, in that situation. But God reached out his hand, pulled you out, and actually delivered you. Which brings us to the final claim, and that is, his, excuse me, his blessing. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. See, I believe these are most likely future blessings, but some are for here and now. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The anointing with oil signifies a soothing refreshment. His cup overflowing signifies continual blessings. But hearing this, now we have to ask, where is this place? Okay, is this here? Is David speaking about this life here and now or the afterlife? Now, it seems to me it's both because now he says this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This describes our life here with the Lord. Mercy and goodness is God's steadfast loving kindness towards us, towards his children, no matter what we're going through in this life. And the blessing will continue and actually get better into eternity. Now the future home for the believer is what? And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close this service today with a song based upon Psalm 23 by a Christian artist named John Foreman. It's almost verbatim the words of Psalm 23, and it's called House of God Forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. I'm thankful, Lord, that we can come to you and we can be encouraged by the things that we can claim. Like David did, we can claim these things as well. Because we know that no matter what happens here on this earth, that we will dwell with you for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.